0: The great love of God is supremely demonstrated by the costly sacrifice of Jesus. He sacrificed himself for us, shedding his precious blood and giving his life for you. Coming up, more about such costly love next on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Use. The last two episodes, I've been sharing a message that I preached at my home church in March 2020 called Such Costly Love. Now, that message originally was going to be a message about the blood of Christ. But I was concerned, like so many times in modern Christianity, that this thing would turn into a focus on the blood instead of on the Savior. So often in Christianity, I think we're focused not on Christ himself, but in something else, uh, like living the Christian life. But Christianity is Christ himself. And so as that message was being developed, and then I shared it in March of 2020, the shift went from the blood to such costly love. And we shared that entire message over the last two episodes uh, of the Daily in Christ podcast. Now, on that particular Sunday when I preached the message, I did not have enough time uh, to share other aspects about what Jesus did for you and for me by shedding his blood sacrificially for us. But that's the advantage of this podcast. We have time. And so today I would like to bring to you the missing parts of that message. More on what God's amazing love has already accomplished through his son. Indeed, such costly love. By the way, we will resume our ongoing series, More Than Conquerors in the Darkest of Times, next week. You see, the Lord has led me to pause that series to bring you this important three-part series, Such Costly Love. It has been my experience in ministering to people who are in crisis that when their foundational understanding of the love of God is weak, then they have great difficulty trusting in such a loving God during their crisis. A strong foundational understanding of the sacrificial love of God is critical in your walk, whether good times or bad. And now we bring you the rest of the message, the conclusion of such costly love. Jesus sacrificed himself Shed his blood. And one of the reasons that the scripture gives us, and, and you know, there are many reasons why Jesus had to shed his blood, and thank God he did it for us. One of those reasons is for remission of sins. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says this this is a very important principle in the Word of God and gives us great insight into why the Lord Jesus, as the Lamb of God, had to shed his blood for us. In Hebrews 9.22, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Now, that word remission means the complete removal of sin. You may know that under the old covenant, the covenant of law, there was sacrifices of bulls and goats, but that sacrifice could not possibly be enough for us. Why? Because it was the sacrifice of animals. God's intention was the perfect God and perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, would accomplish in his perfect sacrifice and shedding of blood all that was needed. Under the old covenant of law, all that could happen was a covering over of sin. But under the new covenant of grace and what Jesus did for you and me, there is remission. And remission is the complete removal of sin. I mentioned a moment ago that under the old covenant, there was this sacrifice of bulls and goats. And in Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about this. And I shared this in one of the last episodes in this series and that is principle is this that sacrifice was imperfect the sacrifice under law of bulls and goats the sacrifice then was an imperfect sacrifice and here's an important principle imperfect work produces imperfect Results. Isn't that true? Imperfect work produces imperfect results. Whereas if you have work that is perfectly done, it produces perfect results. In other words, perfect work leads to perfect results. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished. And that is what is shared in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. We go down to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18. And you got to hear this in the Amplified Version. Listen, it says this. Now, where there is absolute remission, remember what remission is the complete removal and forgiveness of sins. It says absolute remission, and the Amplified amplifies it as saying forgiveness and cancellation of the penalty of these sins and lawbreaking, there is no longer any offering made to atone for sin. In other words, you don't need another sacrifice. This absolute remission of sin that occurred because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice is because of his perfect life and perfect death and perfect blood given for you and for me. This is the whole context of Hebrews. Throughout the book of Hebrews, we see this context between the old covenant of law and its insufficiency, a comparison of the priesthood, for instance, under the covenant of law, which was imperfect because there were sinful men offering imperfect sacrifices. And on the other hand, the new covenant of grace, which has as its center the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God who lived a perfect life who suffered perfectly, sacrificed perfectly with perfect blood as the perfect lamb of God, and the result of that, as we see here in hebrews ten eighteen is the absolute remission, the forgiveness and cancellation of the sins and the law breaking, and what that does what that brings. The soul that sins shall die, the Bible says. The Bible says, and after death, this is in Hebrews chapter 9, the judgment. But Jesus is the one who, through his perfect sacrifice and blood shed for you, brings a perfect and complete remission. Even the psalmist in Psalm 103, verse 12, under the anointing of the prophetic word of the Holy Spirit, could see this and and says this and declares this. Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west— So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that beautiful? You know, there is north and south, and then there is east and west. You can go north and hit the pole, and you can go south and hit another pole, but you can go east and keep going and going, or west. That's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. And transgression speaks of that which has violated God's goodness and law. So once again, Hebrews 10 18, the absolute remission of sins. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ accomplished. Another thing that Jesus, in sacrificing himself, giving his life, shedding his blood, brings about the blood of purification. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13 says this who being the brightness of his glory, this is speaking of the Lord, and what he is in relationship to uh, God the Father, the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Listen to this. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This idea of purging goes right hand in hand with the concept of remission of sin. You see, under the law, what we see is types and shadows. We saw that things were sprinkled with blood to be purified. The high priest, for instance, would enter one time a year, and only he could enter the Holy of Holies, and he never went without blood and there was the sprinkling of blood which represented the purification and there was sprinkling on what was called the mercy seat but again that was a sacrifice of the blood of animals bulls and goats how could that be perfect no way, it's imperfect. And guess what? They had to do it over and over and over again. But Jesus comes with his perfect blood and that blood which he offered himself. Think about this. Jesus came as a high priest, and you realize priests bring offerings and sacrifices. The priest always came under the old covenant, not with his own blood, but with the blood of someone else, the blood of a bull or goat or a lamb. But Jesus, as the perfect high priest and perfect man, accomplishing all that was necessary because there was another man named Adam who rebelled against God and broke the commandment. And through Adam, it says in Romans chapter 5, that sin, death, and condemnation came into the entire human race. So there needed to be another human being, fully human. And yet the beauty of God's incredible plan, the Lord Jesus Christ is both fully human son of man and fully divine son of God. And he came and he sacrificed himself He was the sacrificial lamb shedding his own blood, and that action has purged your sin and my sin away. Talk about the beauty and the power of that and how that cleanses us to a very important reason. And this is the next reason why Jesus shed his blood. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. The blood of Christ brings us near to God. You know, you think about it, in one sense, the blood of Christ is purging our sin away so that we can draw near unto God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse context, the previous verse, verse 12, says this, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Listen to this. Having no hope and without God in the world. It says in the King James and New King James, aliens. Now we're not talking about beings from another planet. We're talking about foreigners and outsiders to the commonwealth of Israel, the nation and people of Israel. And also we were strangers from the covenants of promise. God made these incredible covenants with his people. And we'll get into this a little bit later in this episode. All of the covenants that God had made, covenants of promise, were made with Israel, the descendants of Abraham. And it was covenants to bless them. And it says... Having no hope and without God in the world. Oh, I can't think of anything more bleak than that. No hope without God in the world. Friend, we are in a time right now where the future is extremely uncertain. As I record this on July 19, 2020, we are in the midst of a pandemic that seems to be coming back with uh, uh, ferocity in some places. And we're concerned about that. We're concerned about the health impact. But this time, this wave is hitting uh, economies around the world that are already battered from the first wave. So much uncertainty. And in one sense, if you live your life looking at the latest headlines or the uh, tickers from you know Wall Street or whatever, Where's your hope coming from? Real hope, whether good times or bad, my dear friend, comes from God alone. The Lord Jesus Christ is the source of all hope. And he is the one who makes the difference. It says, without God and without hope in the world. But listen to verse 13 Ephesians 2:13 but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ oh think about that friend we are foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel, from the people of God, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Oh, but God didn't want to keep it that way. Oh, no, no, no. His love is so powerful. His love is so incredible that he gave his only begotten son as the sacrifice, shedding his own blood. And that blood is what brings us near. Ephesians 2.13, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were, once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Think about that. Near to God. No longer strangers and outsiders and foreigners. We belong to God's family, His people, His nation. We belong to him. And no longer are we strangers from the covenants of promise, but we are blessed with the blessing of Abraham. Galatians chapter three has some incredibly powerful verses about this sacrifice that the Lord Jesus did for us. Do you realize, well, let's listen to this from Galatians chapter three. If you can Turn to Galatians chapter 3. That would be really good at this point. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Here's what it says, and it's so good. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Do you know that the Bible in the law, for those who broke the law, and that's all of us, the only thing you get isn't the blessings As they're laid out in Deuteronomy chapter 28, there is 11 verses of blessing for the one who obeys the law continuously all the time without failing once, and if you fail even once, and who hasn't failed more than once? All that you get is the curses, 55 terrible verses of curses over in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But God, in his intervention of love and redemption, through the sacrifice of his Son, shedding his precious blood, dying and giving his life for us, Christ, as it says in Galatians 3.13, has redeemed us. And we talked about redemption blood earlier. This is the idea of being bought by God from the slave market of sin, self, and Satan, And we become, we belong to God. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Do you realize he literally became the curse for you, for me? For it is written, Galatians 3.13 quotes, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that is exactly what he did. That tree across at Calvary on a hill called Golgotha. Listen to verse 14. He became a curse. That the blessing of Abraham, the blessing to Abraham and to the people, the descendants, a sevenfold blessing that we read about in Genesis chapter 12, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Oh, my dear friend, if you are born again in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I shared about that, how to become born again at the ending of the last episode, please listen to that. It's important if you missed it. And I trust, dear friend, that you are trusting in what Jesus did for you, not on what you do for God. That will never work. It's an insult to God. No, 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 no. Jesus did all this he became a curse he's the one who would, who died he's the one who gave the sacrifice he's the one who gave all he's the one who bled and gave his life that the blessing of god might come upon the gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith and do you know what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, listen, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.3. I completed not too long ago a series called Blessed Beyond Imagination. Could it be, That God loves you, dear friend, so much to get you out of your terrible, dark place of sin, self, and Satan, and through what Jesus Christ did for you, bring you near to himself, purging the sin, making you a new creature, and blessing you, blessing you indeed beyond imagination. We got to move on. There is, and I'm going to end with this one, and it's significant. New Covenant blood. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples on the very night that he was betrayed. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, here's what he said to his disciples on that occasion. He took bread and he took wine. And you realized what was going on that night. That was Passover, Passover. And the Passover feast was mandated by God a long time before the Lord Jesus Christ, 1,600 years before Jesus came to earth. And that was God bringing the exodus of Israel, freeing them from Pharaoh to bring them into their own land. And there was the Passover lamb, the shedding of blood, and that protected them from the death angel. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with that particular account. And so on this occasion, in what we call the Last Supper, they were actually celebrating this Passover feast that Israel had celebrated previous for 16 centuries beforehand. Ah, but there was something new that Jesus was bringing, and that was well, he started talking about the new covenant and he says this, for this is my blood. He took that chalice, my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, when Jesus said those words, he had not gone to the cross yet. He had not shed his blood that was coming. And and uh, by the way, that was Thursday evening that the Lord Jesus shared this meal with his disciples on the day of Passover Friday. What we call Good Friday is when he actually did shed his blood. Jesus says, this is my blood of the new covenant. Think about that. Jesus shed his precious blood for many reasons. And one of the most significant of all is this new covenant. But what is the New Covenant? You know, sad to say, most Christians have no idea what the New Covenant is. They don't know where it is in the Bible, and they don't even know what it is in the Bible. Well, the New Covenant is stated in three places in the Bible. In Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. Again, in Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 6. And yet again, in Hebrews chapter 10. Now I want to look at the citation that's found in Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 6. And by the way, I've memorized these verses 6 through 13 because that's that important. Here's what it says The new covenant, as expressed in Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 6. But now he, speaking of Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, now this is speaking of the Mosaic covenant, the covenant of law, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them. Now, remember that the covenant of law is a covenant between God and people, specifically the nation of Israel under Moses. And that covenant wasn't faultless because he found fault. With them. Remember what they did. God had no sooner given the covenant, and here they were committing crass idolatry, worshiping a golden calf. And over and over again in the sad history of Israel, they committed idolatry. They turned away from God. They broke the covenant constantly, constantly. But you know what? God had something better. Because finding fault with them, here's what it says Hebrews 8 8. He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. And that is a quotation from the new covenant expressed in Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. So it quotes that and it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord." You know, if the story were to end there, it would be awful. All of us have broken the law of God. All of us have committed transgression. All have sinned, as it says in Romans 3.23, and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only thing you and I deserve, dear friend, is punishment in keeping with such High treason against such a holy and good God. But listen to this. Verse 10. God says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first, speaking of the covenant of law, or the Sinaitic covenant that God made with Moses on Mount Sinai and Israel. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. By the way, remember that's in Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah lived six centuries before the Lord Jesus came and sacrificed all. So this was a prophecy of future things. But now that we're on this side of the cross, that old covenant is gone. Why? Replaced by an infinitely superior covenant, the new covenant of grace. Now, the new covenant is a blood covenant. So first, what, do we, what does the Bible mean when it speaks of a covenant? Well, a covenant is a contract or agreement between two parties. Easton's Bible Dictionary brings this insight. It says, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word bereth is always thus translated. Bereth is derived from a root which means to cut. And hence, a covenant is a cutting with reference to the cutting or dividing of animals into two parts and the contracting parties passing between them in making a covenant. So, there are many covenants in the Bible. One covenant, for instance, and covenants, by the way, are relational a covenant between God and man, a covenant between people, even a covenant between nations. But the most binding covenant of all was the blood covenant, where the parties to the covenant swore to give to their covenant partner first their firstborn son. Second, they would say to their covenant partner, and all that I have and possess belongs to you. And third, they swore to their covenant partner to protect them even to death. Now, here's the thing. If you broke your end of the deal of a blood covenant, your blood covenant partner could kill you. Thus, the significance of blood, I can't think of anything more serious and yet more benefiting to most to both parties than the blood covenant. Here are some examples of blood covenant in the Bible. There is the Mosaic law given at Mount Sinai to Israel. There was also a blood covenant that Jonathan and King David made with one another. And then there is the biggest blood covenant of all, the covenant of grace, the new covenant covenant. Now, we said a moment ago that a covenant is a contract or a pact between two parties. So let me ask you this. Who are the two parties in the new covenant? I think I heard someone say it's between God and man, but that's not correct. The new covenant is not between God and us at all. Remember a blood covenant, if you fail, then it's all up and the covenant partner could kill you. So I don't know about you, but I am less than perfect. If that covenant had me having to do stuff on my end, that wouldn't go well. No, the new covenant, this blood covenant is not a covenant between God and us, failures, sinners, but it is between God and God. That's right. You heard me right. The New Covenant, the two parties are between God and God. Specifically, it is between God the Father and God the Son. You say, well, then how do I get into this? How do I get the benefit of it? All of those who are in Christ are beneficiaries. How can you be in Him and not have the benefit of Him, who He is, and what He's done? That's the beauty of the new covenant. So since it is between God the Father and God the Son, and neither can or will fail, all the benefits of this covenant belong to you. Sister, brother in Christ, all of those who are in the Son receive the benefits that accrue to the Son. The new covenant, as we have been sharing here in Hebrews chapter 8 and first cited in Jeremiah 31, given in Jeremiah 31, brings us several things. That covenant established by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ brings us a new heart that is spoken not only in Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10, but also a parallel New Covenant passage in Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 36. A new heart. Because of the sinfulness of man, the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked. Jeremiah chapter 17 talks about that. Who can know it? It says that it is a heart of stone. And so the first thing we need is a new heart. And this heart, it's not a heart of stone. It is not desperately wicked. This new heart is from God. It's a heart of flesh. It's alive. And it's a heart that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And now things change. Instead of the command which enacts the righteousness of God from the outside and makes the demand on us, Now we have a new heart with the Holy Spirit dwelling within and fruitfulness in the Holy Spirit. That's the beauty of the new covenant. The second benefit that we receive, and by the way, I could spend an entire series on the new covenant, so I, I wish I had more time to get into these things. I don't. The second thing that the new covenant brings, that Jesus' blood made possible in the blood covenant, is that God becomes our God and we, his people. Listen to what it says here. It says this. And they and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Oh, now we're no longer strangers and foreigners, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, but brought near by the blood of Christ. We belong oh, that means so much to me. No matter where I am in this world, I am always near the family of God. What a blessing. I remember many years ago, I was at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was invited to be a guest at the International Luncheon And seated next to me was a brother in the Lord from Turkey, and uh, he was a station manager of a Christian radio station in Turkey. Would you believe it? And here am I. I was sitting next to him, a station manager in the United States. And though we had never met each other before, Instantly, there was this family bond because we belong to the family of God. We belong to his people. We belong to his holy nation. And even though I, in the natural and the physical, am an American and he, Turkish, yet we are brothers in the Lord. We are citizens of the same nation, members of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus' blood accomplished through the new covenant. Isn't that incredible? And it doesn't stop there, this new covenant blessing. Listen to what it says. None of the people, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brothers saying, know the Lord. So no longer is it a know about, but listen to this, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. We're not talking about know about knowledge. We're talking about a knowing that is personal and relational, where we know God in an intimate and close way as a father and a child. I just love that. One of the most precious things of all that Jesus accomplished through his perfect life and perfect sacrifice and perfect death through the new covenant is to make it possible for me and you to personally know God and to have a personal relationship with him. For many years of my life, the first 21 years of my life, I was religious I really did want to know God somehow, but it eluded me. And I realized I had not been born again. And so one night, October 3rd, 1981, I got down on my knees on my dorm room floor and I cried out to Jesus, my Savior, save me. And he did. And it was so incredible because that old stony heart was transformed into a brand new beating heart that the Holy Spirit could occupy. And suddenly, I could sense the Lord. And ever since then, it's been a beautiful thing knowing him, having that personal relationship with him. And then finally, the benefit of the new covenant instituted by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, God says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. That speaks of the forgiveness, of the remission of sins, of the purging of sins. You see, that action of Jesus and his perfect sacrifice for us, And that blood of remission and purging is the basis of our relationship with God. No longer is it a relationship hampered and ruined by our sin. It is a relationship where we're brought close because of what Jesus accomplished for me and you. And God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Dear friend, that blood of Jesus, such costly love instituted this wonderful, blessed new covenant of grace. Let's pray. Father, this goes beyond words. When we see the great love that you have shown toward us, demonstrated through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, it takes my breath away. Father, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would take this word from your holy word and continue to bring deeper revelation of your radical love, your incredible sacrificial love, your atoning love, your love that does for us what we could never do in a trillion, trillion, trillion years. Thank you, Father, for the remission of sins thank you, dear Lord, that you have purged our sins. Thank you, Father, that through the blood of Jesus, we have been brought near to you. And thank you so much, Lord, through the precious life and death and sacrifice and blood of Jesus, we have been brought into a glorious new covenant of grace. Father, we give you praise and we give you honor alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as I said at the start of this episode, we will be returning to our series, More Than Conquerors in the Darkest of Times. That'll be next episode. So why did I even bother breaking into that series? Well, it is important with this series, Such Costly Love, to help ground us in the wonderful love of God. And nothing, I mean nothing, can give you or me greater stability than that. Having and experience and knowledge and relationship in the love of God. And remember what our key verse is for the series, More Than Conquerors in the Darkest of Times. The primary verse is in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, which says this We are, even through some of the toughest situations, we are more than conquerors through Him, listen, who Loved us. The very possibility that we could be not just a winner, more than a winner, not just a champion, more than a champion, not just even a conqueror, but more than a conqueror, is because of Jesus, through him who loved us. And I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit led us in this direction to help Bring that firm foundation in the great truth of God's incredible love, so costly that it cost Jesus his very life. Dear friend, we're in the thing that is probably the central heartbeat of my ministry. My passion is that Christians and non-Christians around the world would know this wonderful God of love, of great grace, and the Son, Jesus, who did this for us. One important part of this ministry is our ministry website, which is dailyinchrist.org. And there you can find a wealth of articles. Uh, These are writings the Lord has given to me And I have shared through that platform. We also have every single episode of the Daily in Christ podcast. Do you know that during this month of July 2020, we are celebrating 10 years of the Daily in Christ podcast. It was on July 10th, 2010, that we launched this podcast. And uh, we are so privileged to bring you this ministry. And many are being touched around the world. Soon, we're going to also have the opportunity for you to be able to give financially toward this ministry. My passion is that all of it would be without charge, because there are people who can't afford to pay something to get a teaching series through these recordings. Uh, But there is a cost, and uh, people who support our ministry— are the ones that help underwrite that cost. And uh, if you would like to help out in that way, or if you have a prayer request, I want to encourage you to stop by our contact page at our ministry website, dailyinchrist.org. And right up at the top where the menus are, you'll see contact. You can fill out the form. And let me know um, your prayer request or, or let me know that you want to support. That information about support is coming very soon. You know, dear friend, I want to thank you for listening to the Daily in Christ podcast. If you appreciate it and what this ministry has to share, especially in this important time, please share it with others. That's the Daily in Christ podcast and the Daily in Christ website at dailyinchrist.org. I'm Mark Van Oos reminding you once again of what it says in Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him.